Okay, as Tim said, we are starting our new series called All In, and this series is based on the best sermon that's ever been preached. And let me just say, we all know it's not based on any of the sermons that I've preached. Like, we get that, you understand that, I understand that, we're all on the same page, so this is good. It's based on a sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, that sermon was delivered a long time ago. It was delivered in Israel to a specific group of people, but it's also been delivered for us as well today to hear it. And uh, as we're going to walk through this process of learning this this, uh, sermon that Jesus preached, we're going to understand that this sermon has been preached and re-preached and explored and studied and communicated and miscommunicated more than probably any sermon ever. And so we're going to spend the next six weeks exploring this sermon together and how it can apply to our lives. So if you'll take a look at the screens here, you're going to see a picture of where Bible scholars believe that this event happened in Israel. That's the Sea of Galilee off there to the left. And the the sloping hills right in front of you is believed to be the spot where Jesus delivered this Sermon on the Mount. Now, I used to wonder, like, how could anybody ever know that? How could anybody know where something like that happened so long ago? But after being in Israel and understanding that Scripture gives us some parameter of where these events happened, where this specific event happened, and then being in Israel and seeing the landscape around the Sea of Galilee, then you start to understand, oh, this is probably one of those locations where that could have happened. So we may be right now looking at the spot where Jesus delivered this sermon. Then in January, we have a team of people that are going to Israel. We're going to see this with our own eyes. And if you want to go with us, uh, there's some information on our website at theepicchurch.com under our sign-ups tab, or you can just let me know about that, and I'll make sure you get the right information. So I'd love to have you with us on that journey to, to see the, the, the Bible come to life uh, in, in kind of 3D of, of an experience. So love to have you go with us. Now, the Sermon on the Mount can be found in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And if you're following along in your Bible, paperback version of the Bible, feel free to flip over to chapter 5. That's where we're going to start today. The verses will come up on the screen as well. Uh, But before we get into that, let me tell you what happened in chapter 3 and chapter 4. So in chapter 3, Jesus went to be baptized by his cousin, John, and John baptizes him. Jesus comes up out of the water, and a voice from heaven says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy, and the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, lands on Jesus. So this is like one of those supernatural moments, and uh, I think this was kind of one of those spiritual high experiences, even for Jesus. Right after that, though, chapter 4 says that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. So he's led into the wilderness, and he spends 40 days in prayer and fasting. So Jesus didn't eat anything for 40 days. This is right before Jesus began what is known as his earthly ministry, going around telling people that the kingdom of God is near, repent of your sins, and turn to God. So in chapter 4, verse 23, it says this. It says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, so that's the region that we were looking at in that picture, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, 
And people soon began to bring him all who were sick and whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the 10 towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and from east of the Jordan River. Now, for those of us who may not be all that familiar with that region, what they're doing there is they're describing all the towns around uh, the Sea of Galilee and the region of Galilee. So Jerusalem was about 80 miles south of that area, and Syria was about 80 miles north or beyond of that area. So we're talking like 160-mile radius plus where people are hearing about Jesus, and they're coming to see him because they want to be healed or they want their family members to be healed. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up onto the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. So uh, he sits down, his disciples, his 12 closest followers uh, gather around, and then everybody else that was in that crowd, everybody else that had been healed or wanted to be healed, gathered around to hear what Jesus was saying. And Jesus, in in this speech, he's going to give them his all-in speech. He's going to tell them what it means to be all-in with God, for them to be a fully devoted follower of his. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to imagine that we are there with Jesus and his disciples, and we're in that crowd. We're part of that crowd. So just imagine that maybe you have been healed by Jesus recently. So you heard about Jesus, you've had this physical illness for a very long time, you've heard about Jesus, and you made your way 80 miles on foot, and you got there to see Jesus, and he healed you, and you're so excited about that. Or that you've brought a family member, and you're so excited that your family member has been healed, and so you've done everything you can to get them to see Jesus and be transformed by him. And so you're there, we're there, we're excited, and we know Jesus is about to give his all-in speech And we're excited to hear that, but we're thinking, I'm already all in because of what you've done for me. So we whip out our phones, our smartphones. You know, those of us who are really good at typing real fast with our thumbs, like you're ready to type and capture this because you're going to send it to one of your friends. You're going to email them. You're going to text them. And those of us like me who aren't all that fast with our thumbs, we're going to video this just, you know, so we can capture it and look back at at it later. So here we are, we're ready, we're excited to hear from Jesus. And then he speaks in verse three. He says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those whose who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, I can just imagine that we're all in that crowd listening to Jesus. I can imagine us like pushing pause on our smartphones, stopping to type for a moment and looking at each other and saying, what did he just say? God blesses who? 
God blesses the poor. No, he doesn't. That's why they're poor, because God hasn't blessed them. God blesses those who mourn. Did I hear that correctly? Like, that's why they're mourning, because God hasn't blessed them. God blesses the humble. Like, we don't have a whole lot of humble people around here. Like, is Jesus from around here? Is he from around this area? Because obviously he doesn't really know where we live. And I think if we were there, I think somebody would be bold enough, or maybe somebody in this room would be bold enough to kind of shout out and say, Jesus, you got it wrong. God doesn't bless the poor. God blesses the rich. God blesses those who take from this world. God blesses who do everything they can to get what they want. God blesses those who have a good lawyer, who keep them from being persecuted, not people who get persecuted. Now, Jesus, you got it all wrong. But when Jesus began to give his most famous sermon ever, he challenged everything his audience and us know about the world. Now, who was in the crowd that day? You speak out loud. Who was in the crowd that day? The disciples were there. Who else? Sinners. Sinners were there. Some followers were there. So think back through the text. Think back through what those verses said about who gathered around him and who was coming to see him. The sick. The sick were there. So the sick, the paralyzed, the demon-possessed, the not good enoughs, the outcast, the people nobody else wanted around. And when Jesus spoke to that group, he was redefining who could connect with God and who the kingdom of heaven was for. See, for those people, they thought, you know what? The people who can connect with God, the people who are accepted into God's kingdom are the perfect people, the religious people, the wealthy people, the people who have everything going right for them. Because there was this thought in that culture that if you were sick, if there was something physically wrong with you, then that was a punishment from God. You had done something wrong. Somebody in your family had done something wrong, so you were being punished. And so Jesus says to them, no, 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 that's not right. Everybody can connect with God. Anybody can be invited into his kingdom through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So that truth has radically shaped our world. That truth has radically shaped my life. That truth has radically shaped many of your lives. And that truth has radically shaped our church. That we want people to know that it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're an outsider or an insider. It doesn't matter what, what your political opinion is, the color of your skin. None of that matters. What matters is you. You matter to God. You matter so much that Jesus said, I'll leave the splendor of heaven and come to earth and die so you can live and know that you are loved by the creator. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate. And so when Jesus is talking and he's saying, God blesses the poor, God blesses those who mourn, I think some of the people in the crowd would say, he's talking to me. Like, I'm poor. He's talking to me like I've been mourning my whole life. Like I've had this physical illness, this thing that's, that's gone on in my life for so long. I've been mourning deeply. Like Jesus is talking to me and he's saying that I can be invited into God's kingdom. That I can be accepted by God. And I think it, it blew the minds of Jesus' original audience. And I think that same truth can blow our minds as well today. 
And just maybe some of you needed to hear that for the first time, or some of you needed to be reminded of that today, that you matter to God. You matter. You matter to God, and you matter to us. Anyone can be accepted by God and connected with him and enter his kingdom when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, I want to go back through these verses. We're going to go back to verse 3, and we're going to kind of comb through it just a little bit and look a little bit closer at what Jesus said, because Jesus put a little twist on what it means to be poor, what it means to mourn, what it means to be humble. So in verse 3, Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor. And again, the crowd would have been like, yeah, that's me, but how is that a blessing? And most translations say, God blesses those who are poor in spirit. Then the New Living Translation goes on to say, God blesses those who are poor and recognize or realize their need for God. So what Jesus is saying here is, God blesses those who realize that without Jesus, we have nothing. Nothing. And with Jesus, we can have everything. That's what it means for for God to bless those who are poor. Then he moves on and he says, God blesses those who mourn. And mourning is often tied to deep grief over somebody dying, but it, it can also just be deep grief in general. And so I'm just curious, how many of you would say you have grieved something deeply in your life? How many of you would acknowledge that? Number of hands. So again, that could be any number of things that have caused that in your life. Could be a physical thing, could be a relationship thing, could be a financial thing, any number of things that could cause us to grieve so deeply. And Jesus says, God blesses you when you mourn. God blesses you when you grieve. I'm like, how is that possible? How could, how could those things ever be a good thing? How could grief or mourning be a good thing? Listen to what um, Psalms 34, 18 says. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. In moments of grief, in moments of mourning, God is very close to us. And maybe this morning you're grieving. Maybe this morning you're mourning something very deeply. You need to be reminded that God is very close to you in those moments. And then it goes on to say, he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. So why is it a good thing to grieve deeply in moments? Because in those moments, those are some of the times where God is closest to us. Where he doesn't step back and away from us. Sometimes we we think, oh man, I'm going through such deep pain and sorrow. Where's God? Scripture tells us God steps in and he's closer and he's more available to us in those moments than maybe in other times. And so he also promises that he will rescue us if we'll let him. So if you're grieving, if you're mourning, just know that God is close to you and he's available to you if you'll just reach out to him. Verse 5 says, God blesses those who are humble. Now, this is going to be hard for us to imagine, but let me explain Jesus' culture a little bit. In that culture, if you had wealth, if you had power, if you had a position, you were often rather arrogant and self-centered. And I know that we can't identify in our culture like, like that. Like, people don't do that in our day, right? People aren't like that, yeah. So people back then in that spot, if they had wealth, if they had a position, they had power, they often took a lot of selfies. 
They were self-promoters. They were always posting, like, I'm always right, and their opinions on social media. So that's kind of how they operated back then. And Jesus said, God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who promote other people, not themselves. God blesses those who are interested in pointing people to Jesus, not saying, hey, look at how impressive I am. Instead, looking at how impressive God is and getting people to see how amazing God is. So my question for you this morning is, are you humble? And this is one of those like, how do I answer that? Like the moment you raise your hand, you disqualify. So it's, you know, it's one of those weird things like, uh, no, I guess I'm not. So beyond the question of are you humble, like are you a person who promotes yourself all the time? Or are you a person who promotes other people? Do you want other people to be celebrated in who they are and what they're doing? Are you interested in, in people seeing you and how great you are? Or seeing Jesus and how great he is and that he may be working powerfully in you or through you in a moment, but do you give all glory and praise to him? Or do you try to hold on to that glory and praise? How humble are you? In verse six, Jesus said, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Most translations say, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And righteousness uh, is a word that means right useness. It's about being used rightly by God and for God. And Jesus said, God blesses those who hunger for that, who crave that, who desire that, who pursue that, who want so desperately to be used by God that they're working to do anything and everything to, come, to become the type of people that God will use. So do you hunger and thirst to be used by God? For, for that kind of righteousness. Back in January, we did a, a fast, and uh, we had people fasting all kinds of things, people fasting uh, food altogether or, or uh, an activity or social media or whatever. But in that time frame of fasting, we were setting aside something that's a big deal to us, and the, the, a part of what fasting means is when I feel those hunger pains or when I feel that craving, I feel that desire to do that thing, that should point me back towards God and for me to say, God, I want you more than I want that. So do you crave and hunger and thirst to be used rightly by God? If so, Jesus said, God will bless you. In verse seven, Jesus said, God blesses those who are merciful. Now, mercy is tied to forgiveness and compassion. And I want you to think about uh, how rare those traits are in our world. So how much compassion, how much mercy, how much forgiveness do we see in politics today? Do we see a lot of that? Like if you're seeing that, I'm not sure what, TV news show you're watching uh, or you know, where you're at on social media, but like, I'm not seeing that a whole lot of places. Um, what about on social media? That seemed to be a, a place of compassion. Sometimes, not always. Sometimes it's a real painful place out there where we say, like, I'm right, you're wrong. 
and there's a lot of pain that's expressed in those platforms. What about at your work? Is your work a compassionate place? Is it your work a forgiving, merciful place? Should be. What about at school? One of the environments that I often think of in this context is church. How compassionate is church? How merciful is a church environment? Or forgiving are the people of a church? There are many people today that say the last place they would try to find God is church because it is one of the most condemning environments. And being a person who's grown up in, around the church, like I have, I would say, you know what, they're mostly right on that. And that's incredibly sad. And that's something that, that we and I know many other churches are trying to change, that, that narrative in our culture we want people to know like this is a place not for perfect people but for people who are growing to learn to be more like Jesus where we pour out mercy and compassion for each other so Jesus said God blesses those who are merciful because we understand how much mercy God has given us verse 8 Jesus said God blesses those whose hearts are pure now, the reality is, is that none of us have pure hearts. Like, we don't come into the world with, with pure hearts. The Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. But there's a, an amazing promise of God in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. So listen to what God says about that. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. So it really is possible for us to have pure hearts before God, but it only happens when we allow God to do heart surgery on us, when we allow him to reach in the cavity of, of our chest and take out that stony, stubborn heart. Um, I may be the only one here that admits this this morning, but anybody else know that you have a stony, stubborn heart inside? Like, man, do I ever have that sometimes. But God says, I'll reach in there, and I'll pull that out, and I'll put a soft, tender, responsive heart in its place. So it's possible for us to have those kind of hearts as we allow God to, to work in us. Here's something that happens for many of us. Life causes our hearts to become stony, stubborn, and calloused. We go through all kinds of experiences. We have relationships with people that are broken. There's all kinds of things that happen in our world. And so what we learn is, you know what? To protect my heart, I've got to build up this little wall of protection. And we keep putting layers and layers of protection, of callus around our hearts. And our hearts can tend to become stony and stubborn towards people and God. And yet God says, I can fix that for you. I can replace your heart. So um, I pray for you a prayer that has been prayed for me uh, by a friend of mine over 10 years ago. Over 10 years ago, a friend uh, knew that we were starting you know, this church and said, listen, Trent, as you begin this ministry, I'm going to be praying for you on a regular basis that God will give you a thick skin around your heart, and yet your heart would always remain sensitive and tender and responsive to what God wants you to do. And I have been so grateful to that friend for that prayer. And I've been praying that for myself on a regular basis, and I pray that for you as well, that all of us would grow thick skins around our heart 
and yet our heart would remain soft and tender towards what God wants us to do. So what's the condition of your heart? Is it stony? Is it stubborn? Is it calloused? If it is, you might need a heart transplant. And Jesus can give you that if you just allow him to do that work in your life. In verse 9, Jesus said, God blesses those who work for peace. Now, Jesus didn't call us to be peacekeepers. He called us to be peacemakers, to to be people who step into chaotic, broken relationships and to help bring peace and unity and harmony and calm to those relationships. And if you think about the opportunities we have for that, they are endless Like everywhere we turn, there's an opportunity to step in and bring peace in broken uh, relationships and challenging situations. And as you hear that, aren't you just so excited to go do that tomorrow? Like, don't you just think tomorrow I am going into work and I'm just going to sit those, you know, coworkers down and I'm going to tell them, you got to fix this stuff now. It's messing with our whole office. Let's fix it. Anybody super excited about that? All right, no, nobody. Okay, so we don't get excited about that, but it's still something that Jesus said, God blesses those who work to bring peace. He says, I know that people aren't gonna be so excited that you're coming in to bring peace to them. So he follows it up in verse 11 and says this. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. So Jesus knew that working to bring peace to other people would often bring pain to us. He knew that when we try to bring peace, there might be people who say, oh, you're not on my side, you're on their side, so you're now my enemy. He knew that. What happened? And Jesus said, God blesses those with an eternal reward for those who work to bring peace into our broken world. So how are you doing at that? How are you doing at being a peacemaker? Is there someone around you that you need to bring peace to? Maybe you've got some family members who are in conflict, and maybe for too long you've just kind of let that go on, and maybe today... Jesus is calling you to step in and help solve some of this for them. Maybe it's some coworkers that have that going on. Um, Maybe there's some friends at school. Maybe if you're on an athletic team, maybe there's some teammates that are in conflict. Again, we have all kinds of opportunities to bring peace. So are you bringing peace into those relationships around you that are broken? Now, before we close today, I want to circle back and just look again at who was in that crowd that first day that Jesus gave this message. So in the crowd, I'm going to summarize it into two people, two different groups of people. There was a large group of people that were very interested in following Jesus, and then there was a small group of people who were actually following Jesus, who were actually his disciples. And Jesus invited the larger group 
to be a part of the smaller group. Jesus invited them saying, listen, like I know you, you felt like outsiders, but I'm making it possible for you to become an insider and to go all in in your relationship with me, to be all in, to be a fully devoted follower of God. But here's what Jesus knew about that crowd. He knew that many of them in the larger crowd were partially in. They weren't all in. They were just partially in. They were excited about the healing that they had received or somebody else had received. They were excited about what Jesus was doing. I mean, it was amazing. Nobody else was doing stuff like this. And Jesus knew that they were only partially in. In the book of John, shortly after this sermon, it says that there were many people who deserted Jesus that were once his followers because following Jesus got hard. And they were just partially in. So I want to ask uh, this morning, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, are you fully in? Are you all in with him? Or are you just partially in? Like, are you like, you know, just barely in the door in your relationship with him? Is there something in your life that's holding you back from being all in? And if so, will you address that issue? Because God wants you all in. He doesn't want 50% of us. He doesn't want 80% of us. He doesn't want 90% of us. God's not content until he gets all of who we are. That's really the only way he can do the heart transformation in our lives is when we say, I'm all in. You can have all of who I am. And you can transform my heart. You can transform my life. You can do whatever you want in my life. There is this a really interesting belief system that we've created, I think, in American Christianity, where we've kind of read scripture and we've come up with the minimal entrance requirement for getting into heaven. And as, as you kind of read scripture, some people say, you know what, if I just pray a prayer, I can just get in and I, I can live any way I want. I can do whatever I want. And when I die and I stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? I can pull out the golden ticket and I can say, on this day, I prayed a prayer of salvation. So you got to let me in. And so often we have kind of that mentality when it comes to scripture, but that's being partially in. That's not being all in. Now, relationship with God does start with a prayer. Starts with a conversation, starts with a declaration where we say, I, I know that Jesus, you're the only way for me to have eternal life, and I believe that you died so I can live. And then that decision is followed up by a life that proves that we've made that decision. Now, it's not about works, it's not about us earning our way there, saying, Hey, look at all the good things I've done, now you gotta let me in. It's not about that. It's about us understanding if I'm counting on what I've done to get into heaven, like, I'm out. But if I'm counting on what Jesus has done, then I'm in. And our lives should prove that Jesus is transforming us on a regular basis. So as a Christ follower, are you all in? Or are you just partially in? Now, others of you might be here today and you're you're just kind of exploring faith. You're exploring what it means to, to possibly have a relationship with Jesus and what this relationship could do for you. And I think there are a bunch of people like that in, in Jesus' crowd that day as he was sharing with them. And so for you today, maybe what Jesus wants you to do is just take a next step. And I think maybe that next step could be just come back next week. 
or on your way out, grab one of our Bibles. It's our free gift to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, just pick up one of our Bibles. It's a free gift. Take one, take 10. Just take it home and then spend some time reading the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven, and then come back next week as we're gonna keep exploring what this sermon means and how it can apply to our lives. But there might be some of you here today. There just might be a few people that say, you know what, I've explored enough and today's the day for me. Today's the day for me to put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, make that declaration, and then start living that life that proves the decision that I've made. So there might be a few of you today at that spot. And Jesus said in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him can have eternal life and will not perish. So some of you might be at that spot. So as we close today, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray to um, and guide us through two different uh, prayers. Actually, I'm going to talk to two different groups of people. I'm going to first, through my prayer, I'm going to talk to those of you who are Christ followers who maybe recognize that you haven't been all in. And then I'm going to talk to those of you who may be ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to ask for all of us to just bow our heads and close our eyes as we pray. So if you're here this morning and you, you know you're a Christ follower, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, um, I would just like to ask you, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I'd like to ask you uh, if you would be courageous enough to say, uh, if you're in this spot where you would say, you know what, I haven't been all in. You know, I, there's a part of my life that I've been holding from God or something that I haven't given him. Like I've been partially in, but not all in. So if you're in that spot, and you're courageous enough to, to do this, I'd just like to ask you to raise your hand for a moment so I can see the hands. See hands all over our auditorium this morning. All right, let me pray for you. So God, I'm so grateful for these people that are courageous enough to raise their hands and grateful for the ones that, that know in their own heart whether they've been all in with you or not. Lord, you know what that specific thing is in their lives, and they know what that specific thing is in their lives that they need to address with you, that they need to give to you, that they need to let you uh, transform their lives with, or that they need to trust you with. So Lord, I pray that today, that, that they would take courageous steps in that direction of trusting you, of addressing an issue that needs to be addressed, and take a step towards being all now, let me speak to the second group here real quick. While everybody's heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, there just might be a few people here that are at the spot where they say, you know what, I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've done my exploring and now's the day. Scripture says today's the day of salvation. So this could be the day for someone here who says, you know what, I'm flinging the doors open on my heart and I'm letting God do surgery on me. So if you're in that spot, I'd just like to ask you, would you just raise your hand, hold it up just for a second so I can see it. I see two hands. I see a third hand in the back. Just hold it up for just a second so I can, I can see it. I see three. I see four. I see five. Okay. I see five hands. So if you're in that spot, uh, I'm just going to guide you through what I call the ABC prayer of salvation. And it's a simple prayer, and it's not the secret code, not the magic words, 
But what God cares about is the sincerity of our heart as we pray something along these lines. It's where we say, God, I admit I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to be my savior. I believe Jesus is a savior who died so I can live and I commit my life to follow him. So if you're in that spot where you've raised your hand or even not, maybe you didn't raise your hand and and you, you know you need to do that, I just encourage you to pray these words silently in your heart to God. God, I admit that I am a sinner and I need a savior. I believe Jesus, you are that savior who died so I can live. And I commit my life right now to follow you the rest of my days. God, I thank you for, um, Lord, just this crowd this morning, those willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm not all in yet. I gotta keep working on that. And those willing to say, hey, I need to put my faith in Jesus. That is that first step towards being all in. So Lord, I pray for all of us on our journey that you would strengthen us encourage us, give us the the discernment that we need to learn how to be all in. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this, amen. Would you celebrate with me those that courageously said I need to be all in? And then would you stand with me? Our worship team is gonna close us out today and uh, thanks so much for being here.